Have you ever had someone or something just blow you away once you got to know them better? Maybe it's a building that you walked past or you drove past for years and years and you never went inside and finally one day you said, you know, I'm just gonna stop and look and I wanna see what this store looks like or what this building looks like on the inside. And when you went inside, it just blew your mind and you're like, I can't believe I drove past this for years and never came in. This is a wonderful building or a beautiful building. Or maybe it's a person, an acquaintance that you know. Maybe it's someone you know at work or someone in class with you at school and you're not really friends or even close co-workers you just know each other's first name and you see hi every once in a while but after school or after work you go out and and you know you get something to eat and you get to know them a little bit more and you're like oh you're so funny there's you know I thought I had you pegged as this type of person but once you get to know them they just they blow you away with how intricate and how intriguing they are as a person well I'm hoping that today in this episode that I try to do the same thing not with a person or a building but with a passage of scripture. We're in episode four of the unholy trinity, understanding your most dangerous enemies. And I want to start by reading a passage in Luke 4. It's the passage that's going to be the focal point of this entire teaching series. And at first glance, it's going to sound familiar to many of you. It's going to be that building that you've driven past a hundred times, but you've never really stopped in to look. Or maybe it's that friend or that, that, that co-worker that you know on a first-name basis, but you've never really gone past the surface. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That's Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. And if you were raised in church or you've been to church before or you're familiar with the Bible, this is the building that you've driven past a million times. This is that acquaintance at work or at school that you know on a first name basis. And I'm going to try to give you some reasons why you should go in the store and check it out or why you should have dinner with this friend and or this coworker, this acquaintance and see what's beneath the surface and why we should all be on the edge of our seats to want to know more about the time that Jesus went into the wilderness. Because even though it seems very familiar on the outset, there are three things that for me jump out immediately 
questions I can't immediately answer and that you probably can't immediately answer and that should want you to investigate further, which is what we're going to do for the rest of this teaching series. Here's the first question, and it's a simple one, but it's one I can't answer. How did this story ever get out? Think about it. In our last teaching episode, we talked about the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four eyewitness accounts. Jesus never wrote a memoir. He never wrote an autobiography. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are accounts written by those who were with him, who wrote down what they saw. And yet what Luke records is that when Jesus went into the wilderness, the only ones there were Jesus and the devil. Which means for this story to get out, it would would have had to been told to the disciples by Jesus or the devil. And neither seems likely. I mean, the devil's not going to go and start bragging to the disciples the time he got whooped up by Jesus in the wilderness. That doesn't really make sense. So it must have been Jesus, but then that doesn't seem right. Because it does seem like a little bit of a humble brag. You know, Jesus said, hey, before, you know, I met you guys at the beginning of my ministry, let me tell you about the time that me and the devil went mano y mano in the wilderness and I came out on top. That, it seems like he's just, I don't know, bragging on himself, tooting his own horn a little bit. That doesn't seem like Jesus. So how did this story get out? It must have been Jesus who told his disciples, but why? The disciples weren't there. There were no GoPros. There was no security footage. I mean, no one saw this happen. Jesus had to tell the disciples what happened. So why did he do it? It must have been for a reason. And it must have been for a good reason. And he must have told them a couple of times at least because both Matthew and Luke record it in their Gospels. So what is that reason? Why did Jesus go out of his way to tell his disciples something that happened before he even met them? That's what we need to figure out. That's one reason why when you read this passage, it should intrigue you a little bit and try to figure out like what's the reasoning behind this. It should cause you to be at the edge of your seat. Here's another question for you. Why did Jesus go into the wilderness when he went into the wilderness? Because the more you investigate it, the less sense it makes. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And that's important when you understand the context and what had just happened. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus was publicly baptized by John the Baptist and it marked the beginning of his public ministry. Now, that wasn't just Jesus and John the Baptist at the Jordan River. It was Jesus and John the Baptist and a huge crowd. Both Matthew and Luke in Matthew 3 and Luke 3 talk about the size of the crowds of the people that had come from all around the surrounding countryside and really from that entire part of the Middle East because they had heard the message that John was proclaiming. There was a hunger for something new, for something fresh, for a powerful, genuine movement of God. And John was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah and revival was breaking out and there was a crowd there and then John testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world and he publicly baptized him and both Luke and Matthew record that the heavens opened and the Spirit came down as a dove and remained on him. This was something that was seen. This was a spectacle that was public. And Jesus had a prime target, an audience with which to launch his ministry. 
Think about it like a concert. John the Baptist was the opening act. He drew the crowd. Jesus was the headliner. He was the main attraction. So when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, John had just warmed up the crowd. He had primed the pump. There was a willing, ready crowd for Jesus to launch his ministry with. And then immediately, the first thing Jesus does with this ready-made, prepared crowd is he disappears for 40 days. He ghosts them and he wanders off into the wilderness. It makes less sense the more you think about it. It would be like a president going through a grueling election season for a year and a half, two years, and finally they get elected and then they wait and they finally get inaugurated. And the day after this new president's inauguration speech, they disappear. They go off the grid for 40 days. No one can find them. There's no speeches, no executive orders. There's no legislation being introduced by the White House. Nothing happens for 40 days. It just doesn't make sense. So why did Jesus go into the wilderness, especially at the beginning of his ministry when he left a crowd that had come to see the Messiah. It doesn't make sense. Here's the third question. Here's the third reason why we should be at the edge of our seats when we read this passage. Why it should be a building that we walk into to explore further, or it should be that acquaintance that we want to stop and take to dinner to see what's underneath the surface. And it comes from the verse that immediately follows this passage. A lot of times in our English Bibles, they'll break different um, verses up into sections so they kind of create little stories. And a lot of times we think when the next subsection starts, you know, they're on to the next thing. But Luke records in the, the next verse after this passage. So we just read Luke 4, 1 through 13. In verse 14, the very next verse, here's what Luke records. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Why is that important? Well, Luke is intentional to record in verse 1 that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And then he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So Luke doesn't record that he went into the wilderness with the power, but he came out with the power of the Spirit. So how did he get the power? Somehow, some way. Use whatever verb or adjective you want. He got the power of the Spirit in the wilderness. Think about it like a training montage. When Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, he wasn't sidetracked. He wasn't just resting and trying to gather up his strength before his ministry really went in the high gear. It was a training montage. Think about an old classic movie like Rocky Three. In Rocky Three. Rocky goes to Russia and he has to train with, you know, just lifting pieces of wood and, and chopping trees and running in the snow and he's trying to get ready to fight Drago. And there's always a training montage where the eye of the tiger comes on and you just see him kind of going through his workout and learning and getting stronger and figuring that stuff out. There's It's a training montage where you try to speed up the process of someone learning and acclimating and growing in whatever skill they need to grow in. Think of the wilderness as Jesus' training montage where he learned to walk in and walk under and live in the power 
of the Spirit. That's why I think Luke is intentional to record that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit and came out in the power of the Spirit. Somehow, some way, he got the power. And I think one of the main reasons that Jesus told the disciples was because he wanted us to walk in that same power. When you start thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit, that can get really mystical and really just abstract. But I think it's very practical and very attainable because Jesus already told us how. So those are three really, really good reasons to be on the edge of our seats, to want to slow down and stop at this passage, to go inside, to explore a little bit, to take this passage to dinner and try to investigate more and see what's going on. There is so much going on in this passage. How did it even get out? Why was it the very first thing that Jesus did in his ministry? What was so important about it that was more important than the crowd that was there ready to help him launch his public ministry? And how exactly Did he come out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit? That's what we need to explore. But first, next week, there's one other big question that I ask and that you've probably asked if you've spent more than just a couple of minutes with this passage. And it's about Satan, the devil, and the temptations themselves. Is Satan a really bad tempter? I mean, think about it. His first temptation, the way he's going to trip up the Son of Man, is to try to convince him to turn stones to bread. Is that even a sin? The guy's hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. What's so wrong about that? We need to spend some time talking about the temptations themselves and why there's so much more that meets the eye. 